Welcome back to the Radical Christ episode 21. Um, we're going to be talking about miracles and particularly the raising of Lazarus from the dead. Can't wait to get into this with you. So it's been almost, well, more than a month since I produced a episode for the series. And the reason is that I am now a veteran with antibodies of COVID. Um, and it is very ironic that, that I planned this title before I got sick. Um, so you can just call me Lazarus. Back from COVID <clears throat> and we're looking at the the raising of Lazarus. And again, may I remind you that the most special way we can look at scripture is as a map of our own journey and to keep the whole thing mythical. And the definition of a myth is an absolutely true story that might not have, have happened as we think of it scientifically or historically. The moment we go literal, we, we um, rob uh, scripture particularly of, of its impact. So let's go through the actual story of the raising of Lazarus. Um, you, we read uh, from the scripture, um, not, this is not exactly all the passage. Um, I'll put the, the full references in the show notes. Um, but it starts off with Jesus delaying. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was ill, so the sister sent a message to Jesus. Lord, him who, he whom you love is ill. Um, but when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. Rather, it is for God's glory, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Accordingly, though Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, um, after having heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. So there's the first interesting piece that Jesus is not a first responder in today's language. He actually delays um, going to Bethany. Then he decides to go. Then after this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now trying to stone you. Are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours to daylight? Those who walk during the day do not stumble because they see the light of this world. But those who walk, walk at night stumble because the light is not in them. After saying this, he told them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to awaken him. Then Jesus arrives too late. Well, he's been dawdling. When Jesus arrives, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Remember the four days, we'll get back to that. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, some two miles away, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them about their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him 
while Mary stayed at home. Martha said to Jesus, remember Martha's a very practical one, Lord, if you'd been here, my mother would not have died. Um, anger is part of grief, so quite legitimately she says that. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him. And then Jesus is moved himself and grieves. When she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary and told her privately, the teacher is here and calling for you. And when she heard it, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come to the village, was still at the place where Martha had met him. The Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary get up and go out and they followed her because they thought she was going to the tomb to weep there. When Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. He said, where have you laid him? They said, Lord, come and see. Jesus began to weep. So the Jews said, let's see how he loved him. But some of them said, could he, not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, again greatly disturbed, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, already there's a stench because he has been dead for four days. No embalming and funeral undertakers in those days or refrigeration. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus looked, up, looked upwards and said, Father, I thank you for having heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the sake of the crowd standing here so that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound with strips of cloth and his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. So the first point I invite you to notice in this story, in this miracle story, is that there are actually three answers to prayer. We, we tend to forget the third possible answer to a prayer. So when we pray, we expect, particularly in these days of immediacy and emails, we expect a prompt response and then we expect either a yes or a no. So we pray for something. If it doesn't happen, then um, we say, oh, well, that's a no. Um, or if it happens, obviously, that's a yes. But what this um, miracle account tells us is that there's also another response. There's a request from the sisters saying, your friend Lazarus is ill. That's the prayer. That's the request. Come and help. And Jesus delays and there is this waiting. So whenever one prays, it's worthwhile remembering that you, your prayer could either get a yes or a no, or maybe a wait. So a wait is not a no, <laughs> as we will see. Three answers to prayer. The next thing I want to say, and this is about miracles of Jesus in general, is that it's deeply disturbing to me to see what a mockery has been made of 
the miracles and the mis how misunderstood they have been. And people now try to repeat these, I have to say, it, almost freak shows. Um, there, was, there was recently a pastor here in South Africa who, who was spraying his congregation. When people came forward for prayer, prayer, he would spray them with insecticide. Um, the, the, the brand is called Doom. And he would blast them with this insecticide. I don't know. It's a sign of healing. I don't know. Crazy. In scripture, it's very important that we remember that the miracles weren't for miracles sake. They were always, always signs of the presence of the reign of God, the kingdom of God. And in this particular case, they were signs of God's restorative justice. I don't think we quite know how bad the situation for women were, were, was in, uh, in the time of Jesus. <laughs> there are many places in the world today where the plight of women is as bad as it was then. But, but particularly living in constitutional democracies where there are human rights and protection of human rights and the rights of women, um, we, we forget that in the patriarchy of Jesus' day, if Mary and Martha's brother, because one, um, there's no reason to believe that they were married. They were just the three of them living in this, this household. If the man of the household, their brother Lazarus, had died, they would have been destitute. So the raising of Lazarus is not for the miracle of bringing Lazarus back to life. It's to restore the household and the economic security of that household and the social security of that household. It's like bringing back a basic income grant into the home because women without a man were just nothing. So the miracles of Jesus and, and he raises in another place, he raises the widow of Nain's son again for the same reason that the widow it's clear that she doesn't have a husband, she's a widow, but she's got a son and the son dies and Jesus brings the son back to life for, for the same reasons, restorative justice in a patriarchal society, protecting the widow of Nain, protecting Martha and Mary. The other, the other part of the, the miracles of Jesus and the restorative justice is that the poor in Greek were referred to by a very um, onomatopoeic word. Um, they were referred to as the ptochoi. Ptochoi. You can hear it. It's, it's a spitting sound. And that is exactly what the poor were believed to be. They were the people that God had spat out. And for some reason, almost a bit like um, some religions have this idea of karma, a bad karma that follows you. And in, in the um, Abrahamic religions, scriptures, there's a story about the sins of the fathers to the fourth and the fifth generation. Um, it's that understanding that the patochoi, the poor, the destitute, uh, were, were people who had either done something wrong themselves and therefore got spat out by God, or in their lineage some, somewhere had someone had done something wrong and they had been spat out. But the wonderful thing here is that Jesus restores the Ptokhoi. He, he feeds the 5,000. He, he heals the lepers that are going to be ostracized because of the illness. All of, most of the miracles of Jesus, I can't actually think of one offhand 
that is not part of the, firstly, the sign of the reign of God, and secondly, the restorative justice um, of bringing the poor and particularly women back into security. The third point I want to make about this miracle is that unless it's pointed out to you, you don't really notice when you read scripture that all everything when God acts happens within three days. Um, the fourth day, caused by the delay of two days, Lazarus dies and is in the tomb for four days. This is the fourth day when Jesus gets to the tomb. And it was believed um, in the, at the time in the religion of Israel, in the Jewish religion, that the fourth day was the day of hopelessness. After the third day, you gave up hope. Not even God is able to do anything after the third day. And in the Jerusalem Talmud, we read this quote, For the first three days after death, the soul floats above the body, thinking that it will return to the body. When the soul sees the body, that the appearance of the face has changed, in other words, the body starts to rot, it leaves the body and goes its way. That's in the Yebamot section of the Talmud. So it's, it's a bit like the Tibetan Book of the Dead. The Tibetan Buddhists um, read after somebody's died. I think it's for 10 or 14 days, I'm not sure, but they read uh, the bardos, it's called, and explain to the soul what is going to happen for the next rebirthing in their, in their understanding. Um, but this is a sim similar idea that, that a person who dies, that the soul hangs around, and then only when it realizes that the body's rotting and it can't go back into the body, it moves on. Um, into into Sheol, into the place of shadows. So the fact that Jesus arrives and raises Lazarus on the fourth day makes it all the more significant. Jesus comes even into the most hopeless of situations and restores them and raises them up. So <clears throat> the message underlying this symbolism of the fourth day is there's never a time when God cannot act. And so, particularly in these days that we are living through right now, but <laughs> there's always, always going to be something that will make us hopeless. Um, this miracle says, even if all the signs say it's over, it's not over until Jesus has come. So I find that quite exciting. Then finally, the last uh, fourth point that I want to make in this, um, from this, this reading of the raising of Lazarus is how Jesus involves the community as part of the, the raising and the restoring of, of Lazarus. So Jesus works the miracle. He calls him out of the tomb, but he's wrapped up, bandaged, like mummified in the grave clothes. Um, that were packed with spices and things, and despite that, he still stank. Um, but he, he walks out, and we remember the, the various Jesus, of Naz, uh, Jesus movies that we've seen, very wrapped up and tied up and shrouded. And there's this interesting line where Jesus says to the community, untie him and let him go or set him free. Um, and so there's this cooperative venture, this cooperative restorative justice and miracles that involves a community.
Um, we, we don't have to do this all on our own. We don't have to untie ourselves. And if one was to shift this into the psychological and keep it in the mythical realm, one then begins to um, recognize that we are often set free by others who help untie us. Um, counselors, therapists, clergy, friends, family, um, so many people, if we look back at our life, we can point and we say, that person helped untie me and set me free. So there are the, the aspects of um, this parable that I wanted to lift out. I am going to be publishing an integration package um, to go with this video, which will be more on the practical, going back to those four points of looking at, um, at how we can implement that in our lives. But for now, thank you very much for your attention. It's lovely to be back with you in front of the camera. And uh, thanks again for your attention.